And welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. And uh, this episode is another listener request from our patrons. Uh, this is for Dwayne V. He's asked us to cover a Koei strategy game for the Super Nintendo, Gemfire. But before we get into Gemfire, Billy, what have you been playing since our last episode? I actually, you know, I'm not back to work, but I keep him busy. Uh, with some uh, some some chores, helping out family and whatnot. But when I can sit down and play something, which is still quite often, uh, I, I'm still on the Switch playing that cross code. Cannot get enough of it. Uh, that has just been a, a big-time surprise hit for me so far this year. It's one of my favorite things I have, have played this year so far. I know we're we're about midway through, so it's bold to say it's the best thing I've played this year. Uh, but definitely in the top three. Uh, that and I, um, I I picked up another game on Switch just because it was on a just ridiculous sale. I think I recommended it to you guys. It's that Mech Extermination Force, uh, which is essentially like a a 16-bit Contra Shadow of the Colossus ma- kind of mashup. Um, it's just you. It's very Contra-like, like, uh, you know, the, the Contra 3 from Super Nintendo in presentation, you know, the different kind of guns. You've got your, your spread gun, you've got your laser gun, all those things. Uh, but instead of going through levels, it just pits you against just these gigantic, uh, you know, robot bosses that you have to kind of find the weak points on and take down. I've been enjoying that one, and that is definitely one of those. I mean, even the longest fight on there. Uh, is no more than you know, four or five minutes. So that's definitely been my, you know, I, I, I just want to play something real quick, uh, pop on 10 minutes, play that. Uh, but CrossCode is definitely what I have been, been pouring the most amount of time into. Well, I also picked up a new game on the Switch, uh, more for my son than for me, but I've played a little bit of it. Uh, Paper Mario, the Origami King. It's mm. okay. I mean, I, he really likes it. Uh, he's only six, so his reading skills aren't great. So a lot of the game for me is just involves watching him play and then reading out everything they say. The combat's different than the previous Paper Mario's. There's actually like this, this kind of, um, almost looks like a bullseye, and you have to move around the outside rings of the bullseye so that people line up so you can kind of combo your attacks together. It's fun. Mm. I don't know how deep it is. Uh, I've only put maybe a total of an hour and a half on it, but it, it's neat, and I, I did want to give it a shot. But I've spent most of my time playing sequels to two games that at the start of this, you know, when we started doing this podcast five years ago, if you would have said, Jeremy, in five years you're going to be playing these two sequels, I would have said you're full of it. More Shenmue 3. <laughs> Which is actually, it's growing on me. It's a little slow, uh, but all the Shenmue games are a little slow. But this one is uh, is pretty slow. Uh, that said, mm-hmm. I'm playing it very leisurely. I'm enjoying it. There is fishing. That's always a good time. Uh, but mm. the other game I'm playing is Deadly Premonition 2 for the Switch. Are, are you liking it? So here's the thing. I do love it. I think it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it thoroughly. It is a, uh, a barely working pile. But I love okay. the game. So if you, if you play Deadly Premonition and you liked... York, and you liked the the kind of awkward characters and the weird situations, you'll probably still really like this game. It still feels very much like like the first Deadly Premonition in that aspect. Okay. Um, and they also have all the things, uh, maybe not specific one-to-one, but they have the same idea of all these little mini-games in the game that aren't quite good, but yet they're still there. <laughs> so instead of the driving mini-games that are in the original Deadly Premonition, in this one, for whatever reason, and they do explain it in the story as, as much as it needs to be explained, York doesn't have a car. He rides a skateboard. And so there's like these skateboarding mini-games where you learn tricks and you go through these little like <laughs> these, these ramp courses and stuff. 
Um, uh, who needs who needs that Tony Hawk remake coming out then? Well, th- so here's here's my complaint. Other than the fact that it is buggy and it it crashed on me several times already. Um, and, and in fact, in the open world section, when you're outside driving through the town on the skateboard, if there are six frames per second, I'll be blown away. It is it is very very choppy, uh, especially when you're really moving and uh, stuff just kind of pops in. It's not it's not great. It's definitely not fine tuned. I, I know that they are they've already done one patch to fix some things, including a little bit of that frame rate problem. And there's more to come. Uh, I just think the Switch may not be the right system for this game. That said. Uh, my, my main complaint is the combat in this game is even dumber than the original Deadly Premonition. So in the original Deadly Premonition, you see those sections that look like it's going to be more of a Silent Hill horror kind of game. Mm. Well, this game still has those sections, but everything dies in one shot, generally except for a boss. And it's the same enemy over and over again so far. Now, admittedly, I am not super far, but I've put in somehow 20 hours on this game. And the combat is very simple. In the overworld, uh, during the day, it's just animals. And you're in the, some made-up town in Louisiana. So there's, you know, dogs, like wild dogs, uh, killer squirrels for some reason, um, and alligators mainly. And so you'll be driving around town in your skateboard, and you'll see these packs of dogs or whatever. And you, they aren't normally very aggressive unless you run up to them. But it, once you do, like, it's super junky. Everything dies in one or two hits. The the actual animation for the combat for the alligators, for example, they'll be out in the water swimming, and then they basically, as soon as you hit them once, they turn, and like an arrow, they just dart at you, and then if they miss you, they just sit totally still. Uh, to For a few seconds, till eventually they turn again and dart at you until they're totally still. It is... It is... Uh, if it wasn't for the fact that it's so bizarre, but doesn't quite feel... It manages to avoid feeling like it's trying too hard to be bizarre. It just feels like it's like, yeah, I'm a weirdo, and this is the game I made again. And I like that, so I'm enjoying it. But, but yeah, the actual game mechanics is, are not great. And, and I'd actually say if you'd never played the first one, if the first Deadly Premonition wasn't around, you know, when the first one came out, everyone's like, man, this game is broken and it's weird. But then you play it and you're like, actually, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty competent of a game, but these other things are weird. Uh, this doesn't have that. This, this, if this would have came out as the original Deadly Premonition, the original statement of this is a buggy mess that's unplayable is pretty accurate. I don't know if I would have sat through it if I didn't know down the road there's going to be a payoff in the story. And, and honestly, I've already gotten to the point where I'm super enjoying all the characters I've met and everything else, but it's, uh, it is, it's a rough ride. <laughs> but, but I do like it. Uh-huh. And if you like the original, I, I'd say it's worth it. I just I can't say it's $50 worth it. So what have you been playing, Jeremy? Uh, really not too much again, uh, because the last couple of weeks I have been playing the build retro pie games or, uh, systems or whatever. And so that's, I, I've really kind of gotten into making this, uh, a, a decent sized project this time I've made them before, uh, but I really didn't put too much effort into it. I just kind of put a very basic install on there just so you could put some ROMs on there and play them. But this time I actually put a lot of effort into it. And I've got this down to a decent project as far as like, uh, you know, properly categor- categorizing all the games, uh, mm. you know, making the, the back end look pretty, pretty nice. Something that you're not, you're not scared to show your friends and family because they just <laughs> look at it and just be like, what is this? Uh, it's like, look at all my NES games. It's just this list. But, mm. you know, uh, now it, and, it's presentable and uh, actually built a couple for, for you guys. And I know yeah. this is the first time uh, both of you have been able to play a retro pie. So I was kind of curious to see what, what you thought. I, it's, it's been great so far. Um, I have not experienced any issues and it is nice looking like the, the presentation 
if you will, is, is pretty staggering. And yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, it's, it's a lot better than, uh, you know, dragging somebody over the computer and, and saying, hey, look at this and just pulling up a, a, a wall of text. Uh, you know, everything has like it's, it's cover art for the most part. I've only encountered a couple that didn't. Uh, nice description there. Uh, it's been great so far. And the experience has been good, too. Uh, especially what I've loved was um, just having access to a lot of the stuff that uh, in the handheld region of things uh, like Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance around there. Things that I uh, didn't really get to play a lot of. Um, cause that, cause that was a time where I had those systems, but just, uh, that's, that's kind of marks the point, uh, the advance when I struck out on my own. So there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of money for games then. Uh, and, and a lot of those, I, I have no clue how to go about tracking down besides just, you know, trolling eBay day and night. Uh, so it's been great revisiting for me. I have been almost exclusively still just on handhelds on there with, with a lot more. And I think we all said that, you know, I, I think childhood us would not be able to fathom, you know, as I sit there as a kid with my, my stack of maybe, you know, 15 games, uh, would not be able to fathom anything like that at all. Yeah. It's, it's super nice. The, the, the UI for it is is really simple mm-hmm. to use. I mean, it's laid out system by system and then alphabetically, and it's got most of the games that you'd want to play. It doesn't have everything. Uh, for example, I looked for Tale of the Sun on PlayStation to see if it was there, not because I wanted to play it, and it, in fact, it's not. <laughs> now, that's okay, because I don't want to play it, but it's an interesting game if you've never played it before. It's a open-world caveman simulator with no end, so <laughs> I don't know why that's someone's wish list, Boy. but if it is, uh, you know, then this wouldn't help you, but the... I've only had two things that did not run properly. Uh, one was an, an arcade game that's not even a U.S. arcade game, so it just it played, but the sound didn't work. Again, that's the, the most minor of concerns. And for this is weird. Uh, the non-Mike Tyson punch-out plays, but the pictures you know, in between fights are all jumbled up. I don't know why. That's the only two things so far that have not worked that I've tried. It's, it's very nice, and I do appreciate uh, the effort you put into it because I, I guarantee, yeah, out of the box, that thing would have been... Just a giant wall of things. So yeah, no, this is this is really really nice, and I am enjoying it. And uh, and the fact that I can, I went out and bought a, a big USB uh, extension cord, so I can basically hang out in my actual living room with it comfortably, <laughs> not standing next to the TV like I have to for all the other mini systems that give you a two foot controller cord. Yes. So that's it's, it's awful nice for that reason. But something we did not play on these retro pies, and we'll lo- most likely never play again on anything. <laughs> This week's game, Gem Fire, this time for the Super Nintendo. This was a, a listener request, as I mentioned. This is from Dwayne V on our, on our Patreon. Uh, I did an interview with Dwayne. We're going to post it at the very end of our discussion of the game before we get in any questions we have. Uh, because for the first time, I think this is going to be treated more as a rebuttal of our thoughts on the game. But <laughs> but I do have to ask, before we talk about the game itself and, and the company and anything else, where, where do you fit on strategy games on consoles? Uh, I avoid at all costs, and that should be known going into this. 
Um, I will, I'll sit down, I'll play. You know, I, I just think some things are meant for board games. Some things are meant for, for pen and paper. Some things are meant for video games. And, and I don't think those things can always cross over that well. I'm never a big strategy fan, a strategy game fan, uh, as far as video games go. And, and the first thing I basically do uh, when we bring up a game on here I'm not familiar with is go look at the box art for it. Um, because I, and I wish I had this memory for productive things. Because most of the time I can see that box and I was like, oh, I remember seeing that, you know, 30 some years ago at the video store. Uh, I, I don't recall seeing this one. So the next thing I do is I go to YouTube and look up a video. And the only thing I'll kind of skim because if I mean, these older games, there's not a lot to spoil, but I'll just kind of skim through, see, get an idea for the gameplay. And I was presented with a 10 hour video um, and I skipped, you know, five or six different spots throughout that. With several hours, you know, in between skips, and it was always on the same screen. It didn't look like anything had moved. And for most part, I think that's my kind of thought on strategy games on console. I think if I sit down to play a video game, I'm, I'm kind of wanting something a, a, a little more exciting. I guess maybe if you're really into strategy games and you don't have anybody to to throw down a, a board game and, and play with, it might hold some appeal. For me, it just, it never took off with me. I've tried several, and each time, I, I just feel like I'm doing things, and whether I'm doing well or doing poorly, I can't tell you how I'm doing it. I, I'm just, I'm seeing I am hitting buttons. And, you know, and that's about, that's me in strategy games, strategy video games. I uh, don't really care for them in video game format. I generally like them. I, I played a good deal of them. I mean, I, I actually played the uh, the romance games back on Super NES and, and stuff like that. Whenever they came out, I'd usually grab one. I don't think I ever knew all the way what I was doing when I was playing those games, but I always enjoyed them. Uh, I, I enjoy like uh, you know stuff like Final Fantasy Tactics, Advance mm. Wars. We played uh, was it Military Madness for an earlier episode yeah, for this for the podcast? Turbo Correct. Yeah, for the Turbo Graphics. Yeah, and I like that a good mm. deal. Mm. So. In theory, this game is is kind of what I enjoy. Like, I am not against these games. And, uh, you know, if I saw someone playing one, I'd probably sit down and watch them. Because this is, you know, I, I enjoy a good, good strategy game. So I, I was not immediately not wanting to play it until I looked at it. <laughs> and then I, I, I kind of saw what was going on. Uh, but but it's, I still wasn't just like, damn... I can't, I, I just don't want to play this at all. So that, yeah, I, I'm okay with strategy games in general. Well, the, I was always a big strategy game guy, mainly because that's what my dad played uh, a lot of. So, you know, on the Nintendo, we had Desert Commander and any other game that looked like it was strategy-based, especially if it was turn-based. My dad was like, oh, here's a game we can play. And he would just proceed to destroy me uh, before I could even figure out the rules of the game. And that continues up to today. Uh, but, but he... You know, his his interest in games like Contra and other stuff, you guys have talked about playing that stuff with your dad. Not Never interested. Never at all. He just wanted to play strategy games or, or slower games. If it was like a card game or something, he would play that. But that, you know, from the Intellivision on, if it was a strategy game at all, uh, that, that was his thing. So, uh, you know, I was very excited for any strategy game on a console because I, I was pretty good at them. Um, however, you mentioned Romance of the Three Kingdoms. All those Koei, who's the company that made this game, uh, Japanese and Chinese war games... I, 
they were way over my head because they weren't just straight strategy uh, for for fighting. It was like you had to to do what I would consider to be a necessity in a real-time strategy game. You have to build up your your armies by making sure you have the right crops on the field. You have to make sure you, you mm. make your people happy and all this other stuff. It's more like a, a civilization-style strategy game and yeah, not, you know... A lot of a sim stuff in, in there as far as, like, actually knowing what you need to do uh, to build, you know, each, each area. And there's a lot of that in this one, too. It's just that I think there's a lot more meat with, with those romance games that actually, I, I don't know, that... God, I'm just not going to be able to describe this game at all. Well, I, I like, think, <laughs> so. I think you're right. It, this game does have all the stuff, not all, but but that same kind of feeling. When I first, you know, you first turn on Gemfire, and you're like, oh no, it's a wall of menus. Like I don't know what anything does. After you get like the intro story, uh, which we'll get into. Uh, actually, I'll just tell you the intro story in a second. But the as soon as you get finished that story, then it's like, bam, pick a pick a guy you're going to be and pick a country and then bam you're at a at a map screen and it just gives you a bunch of icons you don't know what they mean it doesn't explain them on the screen and you're like oh i guess i'll look at the manual and it's a 50 plus page manual i'm like oh no this is this kind of game it's going to take me forever to figure it out so i i actually i mean this this request came in 3 months ago and i've been playing a little bit of it at a time over time so that i could figure this game out cuz otherwise I would get overwhelmed with this many options in a game where I feel like I have to read the manual to play along with it while trying to play these other games. So I was like, okay, I'll just play a little bit at a time. And I have figured it out, which is good. But it took a while. And I do think that unlike those other Koei games, the Romance of the Creek Kingdoms or Nobunaga's Ambition, I never figured those games out. I've got a really good grip on this game, which means it's way simpler. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, this is uh, those games, and it looks... Like it is this incredibly detailed, you know, a game like romance or something. And then you get into it and you realize it's very simple, like almost to the point where it's tediously simple. Uh, I, I know there's actually like a version of this on the NES as well. I don't know if it's is this like before the romance games came out? No, this is a, a 1996, or I'm sorry, 1992 on the Super Nintendo, 1991. Say, 96. Yeah, no, 1991 on, on the Nintendo. Uh, it, it actually, the Super Nintendo version is one of the last versions of this game. It was on Nintendo, Genesis, uh, computers, uh, which most of their games are on computers too, uh, and then the Super Nintendo. So they're all the same, though. I looked at videos of all of them. The Nintendo one, to give it a lot of credit, looks almost as good as the Super Nintendo one. It looks really, really, you know... Uh, very detailed. You can actually see what the units are mm -hmm. and what it did. I was very worried the Nintendo one would be completely unplayable, but it's basically the same game. Um, to to dumb down the story of Gemfire, because there's a big backstory about a war that happened, whatever. But really, there's an evil king, and the evil king has a crown that has seven stones in it. The seven stones have the power of six different wizards and a dragon, and it lets him control you know the country because he has this magic power that these gems give him. His daughter breaks into the you know his his room one night when he's asleep because she doesn't like him either, and tries to pick the gems off the off the crown. She gets all of them off, but the last one for the dragon. And the rest of the stones, as soon as they pop off the crown, they become the wizards again. They fly off to these different lords in the town, and it start in the in the country. And it starts this civil war where all six of these lords are now fighting against the evil king who only has one gem instead of six, and they all have, instead of seven, and they all have their own gem. So the idea is that they all have these superpowers, and they can you know use those together to defeat the evil king Esselred. So the game starts after it gives you this big story, and you have to pick first off which scenario you want to play. And that's how I kind of knew at first I was in maybe in over my head because it's not even like, here's the base game and here's some tutorial levels and here's whatever. It's four different scenarios. Now, I wasn't completely blindsided because 
a lot of strategy games have that, but those are based in historic events. So it's very easy to say, like, yeah, this is a Civil War game where it's 1961 and there's 1962 and the, the map's totally different because you knew what happened in these wars. They did the same thing with this, except it's a made-up story that they don't give you that explains why the map has changed in these four different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that initially <laughs> that drove me absolutely crazy because yes i i do uh my experience with it is if you are given options you at least have some kind of basis like you have a base knowledge maybe even going into the game about you know what is happening with this time period uh and you have some knowledge going in and you kind of formulate from there you know which one you're more interested in this is a blind pick uh, and it it didn't set well with me early on because there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of explanation or I thought story that really deviates from from what you pick here. So I, it, it almost seemed kind of pointless to me to an extent. Well, that's why like I asked if it was on the NES or if it was a very early uh, attempt at one of these games because a lot of the stuff that the romance games did it actually explained those scenarios to you or would give you an idea of what you're getting into like this one is literally just pick scenario one two or three or whatever the names it gives you and there's nothing else there and i was just like oh okay i i didn't have the manual so i didn't know you know i probably should have looked that up uh, and there's a, probably a lot of things in here that i should have looked up but yeah there it just kind of throws you in there and gives you nothing to go on so that's why I was asking if it was an earlier game or not. Well, it, it does explain in the manual why these scenarios are different. But that said, the biggest thing is from the, the first scenario, which is called Aaron and Ander. And that's the one I did all the way through. Uh, and the, the fourth one is Gemfire, uh, which I figured was actually the real game. But really, the only difference is how powerful the Evil King's you know grip on the world is. So in the first one is early in this conflict. So he does have most of the map under his flag. And in the later ones, his corner of the map is much smaller, and the other lords you'll be fighting against, or uh, or in some way being partners with, are much larger players at the start of the game. Normally, if you play the very first scenario, everyone's kind of in their own corner except for the king. So that's probably the right one to start with, uh, because he's not going to just go after you and smoke you immediately because there's five other lords coming at him. So uh, that, that makes it a little easier to, to kind of... Stay hidden, stay out of the way until you feel like making a move. Uh, so anyway, so you pick what scenario you want, and then you pick from a list of four different lords. And those lords change depending on which scenario you've picked, but it doesn't really matter because it shows you what corner of the map they hold. Uh, the only thing that matters is each lord has a different gem, and therefore they have a different wizard that will work with them. You don't get to pick what wizard you get. That's actually determined by whatever lord you pick, and it doesn't explain that extremely well. Uh, I mean, it does in the manual, but in the game it doesn't necessarily. So, for example, in the first uh, the first scenario, Aaron and Ander, the uh, the Lyle family, uh, which is uh, on the kind of the western upper side of the map, gets Pluvius the Mage. He does he he makes meteors fire from the sky, and he's wonderful. Uh, if you pick the Blanche or Blanche, I always said Blanche, but I bet it's Blanche uh, family. They're on the upper right corner of the map, and they get Xandor the Wizard who shoots lightning. Uh, each of these families has a different wizard. I'm not going to get into where each one is or anything like that. But the other wizards, because they actually are far more important than anything else we're going to talk about, are Skullric, who does a flying skull attack, Gamut, who does a cone of fire, Chili, who does ice crystals, and Scylla, who has this wind wave attack. And then, of course, the king has a dragon uh, that's his, quote, wizard uh, that he gets. So you pick you know, your scenario, you pick what land you want, and then the last thing you pick, and I thought this was picking a wizard, you pick an advisor. 
Uh, there's four different advisors you can pick from. I didn't even know what they did. The first time I played this game, from start all the way to finish, I never saw the advisor. I didn't know what to do. Uh, if you're on your, your turn, you can hit the L or R button, I believe, and the, the advisor will come up and give you a basic tip on, like, maybe you should feed your troops or something. Like, it's nothing too exciting, but that's what the advisors do, and they have their own flavor. So there's one advisor that's more of a, of a pacifist but has really good ideas on how to make your your territory is really strong, and there's also a, a guy named Jasper the Riddler that just kind of gives you vague hints on what to do, but he's supposed to be like a jester. Uh, totally unimportant, but it's kind of neat that it's there. I didn't even use those advisors the first time through, but once you finally get to the map and see what you can do, you're presented with a wall of icons. You get to see your character. You get to see, you know, what, what day and month it is or whatever, what month and year, I mean. And then you have four icons at the bottom of your window that tells you different things you can do. There are 30 territories in the game. And each turn of the game, each territory gets to go once. So each turn has 30 phases. I don't, I don't know what their correct terminology is, but that's how I'm going to use it. And so the, the game progresses with you watch the, the phases count down until it gets to your phase. It's not set. I don't know how it determines when it is your phase. It's not from 1 to 30 going in order. It's not based on... From what I can tell, anything. I think it's randomized. So when it gets to your turn, you have four icons at the bottom of your screen. There's the military icon, a domestic icon, a diplomacy icon, and one that I thought was a knight, but it's the vassal icon. You can do one of these actions in your phase, and once you've picked one, with a few exceptions, your phase immediately ends, and it goes to the next phase for another lord to handle. If you own three territories you have three phases that you will go on that turn. It may not be in a row. In fact, most likely it's not in a row. But again, the more territories you have, the more times you'll get to go in a turn, but only for each you know, state or whatever the location is on your map. At first, this is very, very overwhelming because you're like, whoa, there's a lot to do here. Uh, I mean, you're, every time you pick one of these icons, it goes to another submenu. So if you pick military, for example, there's uh, attack a neighboring area, recruit people move troops to another area, or hire monsters. And you're like, what is this? I am so confused. There's so much going on. Uh, how long did it take you to kind of get your head wrapped around exactly what these things did and really how you were supposed to progress through this game? It, it took me... I think I'm, I think I'm still working on it. Um, and I've put a lot of time into this thing. Um, I, I felt like with this game, I was extremely overwhelmed. Like as soon as that, and when I talked about it on YouTube, the video where the screen never changed, it was this initial, <laughs> this menu screen. Um, and, and, and I went from feeling like I was overwhelmed and there was so much to do. I've never had the thing where I felt like there was so much to do to feeling like that there wasn't much to really do. And, and there was a lot of pointless stuff so quickly. Um, I, I, I tried a little bit of everything. I did several complete restarts of this to play different ways um oh god it, it took me a while i still don't know the fine points of it uh, if, you, if you ask me a solid strategy for getting through this thing i got nothing for you um i just i tried just kind of every little thing there was to do on here and i found my experience for the most part remained the same throughout it took me uh, I, probably a good like 40 minutes just to kind of get it get it going to where like I understood what the flow of the game was supposed to be about. Like I said, I played the romance games before, so I kind of had an idea of what some of this stuff does. Uh, and if you just take it at face value, this is probably the most simplistic 
of those games you could possibly ever imagine once you do figure out what those things do. But the interesting thing to me was these hero units or god units or whatever that they've thrown in there. You know, a lot of these games do have their hero units or whatever, but once you actually get into the battle with one of these, this game goes completely overboard with, I mean, they're god units or whatever, and they are godly because they completely unbalance this game. Yes. And, and there, that's where the interesting thing is. I think that's actually the, the most fun about this game to me is that these these units, these wizards and stuff like that, you get completely break the game <laughs> to the, I, as far as I can tell. Like if there's one in your party, we'll get we'll get to the fighting stuff or whatever. But that's where once I get uh, once I saw those guys and what they did, that's where the game actually started interesting me somewhat. But, but besides those care those things in the game, the rest of it is is very. It looks like a mess whenever you first start it, but there's not too much stuff you can really do. Yeah. And what's there is very very simple. Uh, even so like when you do execute one of those commands, it happens. I mean, it just happens right then. Mm -hmm. There's really no waiting in, you know, like with other games where you have to wait for resource. You do have to wait for resources, but it comes down the line automatically. So it, it's just about like managing your food and your money and your troops and, and things like that. And it's a, it's a very simplistic strategy game flow. So yeah, I, it, it did take me a few minutes, but, but once you get it down, uh, you kind of see that there's really not much there to it. Yeah, the, the 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 game boils down to really just making sure you have enough money in your in your I don't know their cities, whatever they're called, the territory to hire troops and keep troops around to stop people from attacking you, and then growing crops, selling those crops for more money, and buying more people until you have a sizable army, and then you take that mm -hmm. army and you take on a neighboring uh, a neighboring territory that an, an opponent holds and. You can see how big their army is. You can see if you look at a unit, how much money they have, how much food they have, how big their regular army is. The only thing you cannot see is their fifth unit. Now, the fifth unit is those wizards that I mentioned at the start of the game. Uh, each army owns a wizard. Now, thankfully, the wizards cannot be used every turn. If you use a wizard this turn, they have to rest for two more turns before they can play again. And that wizard's good for anywhere in your army. But the rest is, you know, you can if you use it one turn... Uh, one phase in your turn, you can't use that wizard again for the rest of that turn and the next two turns. So you got to use that wizard sparingly. That's why you hire monsters. That hire monster command in the military mm. option, if every different territory you have has its own monster, you're guaranteed to have a fifth man unit. Uh, otherwise, all the fighting units in the game, when it boils down to when you see the actual strategic fighting, and we're going to get there in a second... They're all four units, and they're the same four units. You can't mix it up and make a one that's four, you know, archer units or whatever. They're always the same four units, and then there's a spot for a fifth unit if you have one. And like Jeremy said, those fifth units, those hero units essentially, are extremely powerful uh, compared to your regular army units. In fact, they they are the, the wizard specifically, but also some of the monsters you can hire uh, are you know you'll your regular unit you'll you'll come into a battle and let's say you've got. 120 people in your army. Well, when you get to the screen where you're going to do your strategy, it just automatically divides those guys into your four units, each with 30 people in them, or, or whatever makes the most sense for how it's dividing. And But it means that you know, you're going to have 30 hit points, essentially. Uh, you, it's a force of 30 people. Well, these wizards come in with 100 to 150, and the armies that you'll hire come in with 100-ish. You know, and so you've got to come in knowing that you've got 30 people fighting against essentially 100 people in these hero units. 
So unless you surround them, because flanking is something this game actually does kind of expect you to do, um, you know, unless you come at them with everything, you're going to lose, and you're going to lose bad. Uh, the, the benefit is, you know, again, if you come into a fight with a wizard and you lose that fight, thankfully you don't have to see that wizard again for two more turns. And the hero, the, the armies you can hire are fairly fickle, uh, unfortunately. So you'll hire <laughs> an, a unit, and then if you don't use them after so many turns, they might get bored and leave. Or if you hire a unit like orcs, you know, some kind of monsters that are going to be your, your heroes for hire, uh, they may decide on, you know, the second turn you've had them that you're not a very good leader, so they're going to steal a bunch of your food and leave. Like, so there is a risk to hiring these units, but the risk of not having them is so much higher because if, a, if an mm. enemy attacks you and they have one of these fifth units and you don't have one, you might as well just leave at the start of the game. The only way to overpower that or to, to kind of fix that is to make sure you're you know, all your territories have a force of 500 or so. If you have 500 or so warriors in each of your territories, then they're going to break out to 125-ish apiece. And then that wizard that has 100 is no longer quite as scary. Now, he does more damage than you do, and a lot of the time the wizards have range attacks, and, you know, knights and, and regular soldiers don't. So you have to be careful in general with those units. But they are less damaging the further along you are in the game. Uh, for me, by the time I finished this, and I did win, I took over all the, the territories and united the crown, whatever, uh, I had all my armies that were at the front were 800-plus. I mean, 800 to 1,000 <laughs> units large, making most of the fifth units just something to deal with, not necessarily a game-breaker. But... But to do that, I had to sit there and wait so much time to build up my army and grow crops and then sell those crops. Uh, to make that happen, other than just getting lucky and hoping you can grow and sell crops well, you have to spend those domestic, uh, the turns doing domestic things. So you can either beef up your fields or beef up your town's defense. And the other thing you can do is trade. Uh, that, the trading is really how you're going to get all of your money in this game. Uh, if you look, when you first go to trade, it'll tell you, like, is the market high or low? And there's only one commodity, and that's your food. So if the market is high, it means cost of food is high. So if you have a bunch of extra food, go ahead and sell it. You're going to get a whole bunch of extra gold. And then if the, the market is low, you buy as much as you can, so you have this stockpile of food. But that way, when the market's high again, you know, you're, again, doubling, tripling, quadrupling your money. It's the world's dumbest stock market game because there's no control over anything. There's no, there's no way to tell, like, who's buying and selling. If the price is always high, who's buying this and who's selling it? Like, there's no logic to it. You just have to accept that it's there. Uh, and, and that's all the game boiled down to for me was just making sure I bought and sold at the right times, got as many people as I did in my army, and then once I had 200-plus in each unit, okay, I'll get my fifth unit ready and I'll, I'll march into the next town. And generally, you'd win. Uh, that we're going to talk about the combat in one second, but I think that's a pretty good summary of, of how you're going to spend most of this game. I, I mean, that's basically what I what I was doing. I just got to the point where I didn't want to do it anymore with <laughs> with uh, you know the the waiting and things like that. I you know I keep I don't want to keep saying it, but I I can't really describe the game in any other way. It's just there's a lot of things here that's just very simple, and mm -hmm. it, it's it, it looks like I said it just looks crazy, but what it boils down to is exactly what you said. It's just a waiting game and, and knowing when to, uh, you know, wait for crops and, and where to spread your troops. You do have some little things that you can do, like you can kind of play the spy and, you know, and try to screw with other people around you. But I found that that was not effective in any way when I could just send uh, all of my army of like, you know, 500 dudes over there and just take it over. Um, I didn't really see a detriment to trying to screw with other people. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I, 
it's kind of hard. These games kind of live live and die with their AI as far as like how other countries and, and territories react to what you're doing. But like I could send uh, someone to screw around with another territory and that just, you know, it was like you failed. I was like, oh, okay. And they didn't try to retaliate or anything like that. It just seemed like everything I was doing, I was just, it, nothing really mattered. Um, I don't know if it's because of the scenario I picked, but like no one else really seemed to care about me. And I don't know, maybe that changes as the game progresses. I just didn't have the patience to wait through an entire scenario of doing this. But it just seemed like everything that I was doing, I was just there in my own little box and I could just kind of play around however I wanted to. And, you know, that that was it. And that's kind of why this this game kind of got boring to me was because there wasn't any of that, you know, stress of being like, oh man, you know, I'm I'm friends with this guy, but what if I, you know kind of betray him and send a spy over or something and try to screw around with him. What's he going to do? Is he going to retaliate and send all of his forces to my, my territory? No, that doesn't matter. Nothing like that happens. <laughs> yeah. The enemy AI on in general in this game, actually, but, but especially on the, on the overworld map, you know, the, the diplomatic sections, you can make alliances and then you can break them and it doesn't seem to really affect what they do. They'll, they'll ask you to ally with them and then they'll break it for no reason. Like I had the, one of the units or one of the, the lords had literally two, two um, territories in the very south corner of the map. I was nowhere near them. I was going to get to them eventually, but whatever. I, I was still like on the top half of the map, just taking over huge swaths of the middle of the map. But they were nowhere near me, and so they they asked to ally. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And mm. literally like, three turns later, I was like, oh, we broke our alliance. Like, why? What well, what was the gain of that for you? I'm nowhere near you, but now, not like I wasn't going to anyway, but I'm going to crush you. I'm going to make sure I don't have any, you know, I hold nothing back and I crush you for no reason. But if if I broke an alliance, the enemy, the computer just doesn't care. It's like, yeah, okay. And, and even when it, they accept the alliance, like it didn't make any sense if you something something out, generally that whole diplomacy option. You can ally with people. You can negotiate uh, a surrender. I don't know if that ever worked. I didn't bother. I tried it one time. It didn't work. So I was like, I'm never going to use that again. Uh, you can sabotage, which means you can go and damage a province near you. But that's your whole turn. So if you damage a province, let's say south of you, and you're the only territory touching that territory that you own, you can't attack them this turn. So you're not going to get the mm. benefits of that sabotage anyway. And it only seems to hurt a little bit. It, it you know, gets rid of some of their units or their food or whatever. And then you can plunder, which is to steal their food and gold. That sometimes worked. It sometimes didn't. It didn't seem to make them mad enough to retaliate. It just, I get some extra gold. I'm <laughs> like, all right, that's cool. Like, the enemy AI is not great. And that's really uh, it, a, a big problem with that whole diplomatic section. Like, I'm sure this is this is a meaty section in other kinds of games, but this game never delivers on that. And, and you know, the problem, that was going to be my pleasure throughout the game, I think, was just being an asshole, making these... <laughs> You know, doing these things to kind of align myself with folks and then, you know, just 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 kind of turning. Um, but, yeah, there you get away pretty much unscathed for any anything you do um, as far as, as, you know, turning heel on the you, people you're aligned with. And that was shocking because that I thought for a moment that was going to be that was going to be the bright spot was like, you know, building up an alliance with this area and then then the turn. Um, no, I mean, there's there's nothing to be had. It continues the tradition of just being uh, the tradition of this game of just being incredibly lackluster. I, yeah, like you said, this was this is like my thing to do. Like when I play Civ, you know, to, to be that asshole country that that works to negotiate treaties with with other people around them and then just fuck with them, you know, sabotaging and things like that. That's what I really enjoy about those mm -hmm. games. But those games that matters. It it. it 
you know, they take into account what you've done. So in the future, it's just like, no, fuck you. What you just, mm-hmm. you, you were my friend and then you sent a spy and you fucked everything up. So, mm-hmm. you know, now we're going to just destroy your whole fucking country. That again, it just doesn't, doesn't happen in this one at all. Well, and so in a lot of these strategy games like Civ, for example, um, the combat is kind of secondary. It's there and there's math to it and there's, there's strategy to it. But, but what it boils down, it's, it's more of a numbers game and that's it. So other times there will be a game where it's like this, and you get to the, the the actual strategy fighting, and it goes to a different screen, like like Final Fantasy Tactics. You know, you, you get to where there's a fight, and all of a sudden it's a, it's a whole map, and you have all these this way you can flank and you know use the ter- the terrain to your advantage, all this other stuff. So I figured, okay, this is gonna be a game where the combat is the meat of this game, and this is where mm. you know it's gonna it's gonna pay off for me because I like turn based strategy, and and now that this diplomacy stuff's out of the way, this will be great. This is what I can do, man. The, the combat in this game has, it, it, it looks like it's going to be like that. It puts you on a screen. You're on one side of the screen, the left side of the screen. The enemies are on the right side of the screen. And you have to use your units to move across the map. Now, again, as I explained, you only have the same four units, core units in every army. So no matter what territory you're in or attacking, you have four units. You have a knight unit, you have one archer unit, and you have two sword like swordsman units, regular knights, I guess. And then you have your fifth unit. Assuming you hired an army or you have one of your wizards, you have your fifth unit that normally is you know your your force of destruction to deal with. That said, since I had my armies so high, my other units were actually pretty good as far as being useful units. So if everyone was at equal numbers, let's say everyone had 150, including your wizard, great. Now you're talking more of a strategy element with all your other units. Except that the map is I don't know like 10 by 10 maybe maybe 15 by 15, and your units only move two or three t- spaces each turn and they can move two turns and if they can attack they can attack if not you wait each unit has a special ability but most of those special abilities are uh, either breaking or mending fences like you can put a fence up so that it kind of stalls the computer unit uh, from coming towards your side of the map uh, the, the goal of combat is simple to either wipe out the entire enemy force or each side has a flag and if the opponent you know if you can take over your opponent's flag as soon as you step on it maps over you win uh, for that fight. You'll win that territory or you'll defend your territory if they're attacking you by taking their flag or wiping out their entire force or doing so much damage that they withdraw. It is... The actual combat in these screens is boring. The math isn't as exciting as like, you know, we, we played Military Madness or if you've played Advanced Wars, it's the same kind of idea. If, if you can f- get two units and flank another unit in a game like that, you're doing so much damage and you're really putting them at a disadvantage. This game, it's like, okay, well, you know, let's say you each have 100 damage, 100 size to your units, and you go head-to-head. You might do 12 damage to them, and they might do 6 to you. And you're like, well, now we've still got 86 damage to go, and that took me three turns to even get to this fight. If you're flanking them, you're like, okay, well, now I'm going to wipe them out because I'm flanking them. It's like 25 damage. Like, it's not that much different. (laughs) The damage takes a long time to whittle away at them. Uh, and you have to make sure you bring enough food to the fight to last. Otherwise, if you run out of food, no matter if there's one guy left on the on the field from the opponent, you have 10 million, but you're out of food, you've lost the combat. So there's kind of a built-in time limit as well. You can't just dick around. You have to go for it fast, try to get the flag or fight the, the enemy units. Again, it's very simple, but if the AI was smart, these could be really interesting battles. But the computer AI in these fights is complete dog shit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what they what they do. There's two different types so that, you know, if you're on defense, uh, they they will 
they will actually attack. You know, they will come at you, and and that's when it's you know you, it, really it's all about just kind of flanking and defending and building uh, fences or whatever. And that's as deep as this game gets as far as combat goes. If there isn't a, a god unit or hero unit on the field, my my main experience with with battling in this game is that I would I would be on the attacking side, and if they're on the defensive side, they don't fucking move. Yeah, like they just sit there. And so I have to move my units, you know, the two spaces that they can go all the way across this battlefield. And just, you know, even like your ranged units can only like fire two squares ahead. So like even those you have to get fairly close. So it takes me a good five minutes to move everyone slowly across the screen. I've got everyone like put in their the optimal position for like, you know, when I get here, I've got this guy up here. I've got my archers down here. They can take this guy out. We've got these fences down that I spent like three minutes like tearing down. Nobody's going to touch me. <laughs> so like I get all the way over there and like the next turn is going to be like, this is it. I'm going to finally get to, to unleash hell on these these poor people. And their their move before that happens, the dude next to the flag moves one step to the flag. And, turns. <laughs> and that's it fucking made me so mad that I just quit the game. I was just like, you sons of bitches. Like, the, if you're just, at least let me have one hit before you yeah. retreat. But that that all, just about every time that I was attacking, I, I all I knew was going to happen, I was going to move all the way across there, and if I had any sort of advantage, the AI was just going to retreat as soon as I got over there. It just, oh god, just killed me. Yeah, they aren't bold. They Flanking is a big piece of the game, but they don't seem to follow that or care about it at all. Like, they don't worry about flanking. They fight you head on. Uh, they, they don't maneuver. If, if the fastest way to get to you is the one square ahead or the knights can move three, they could go up and around and get you on a flank. Nope, they just go straight at your head. They don't worry about flanking. The, 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 the wizard units or hired units sometimes can move farther. They can move three sometimes, and they have uh, one of the wizards can fire three spaces away, so you figure that's a big deal. And it kind of is, like... They use those units pretty well. The, the, the wizards generally are, are the AI can kind of handle well. But even with those, like I had, I had, a, I got bored real quick with waiting around. So I was like, every fight's going to just be me going full bore at the mm -hmm. enemy. You know, if sometimes it's a little stronghold, sometimes it's just a wall there behind. Uh, I'm like, I'm going to go in there and get that flag. I don't care about defending my own side because no one gets there. I'm shredding everybody. What's the point? And so I had one round where I had everyone go on the north side of the map except for one guy. And he stayed down because I saw they had a wizard. And the wizard actually was smart and went after that one guy. And he was within striking distance of my flag. All he had to do was move onto my flag. And despite the fact that I had killed everybody else and was just standing by the flag waiting for my next turn, like screaming that he wouldn't do this because I was like, there's no way I'm going to win this now. He's two feet away from my flag. All he has to do is walk on it and get it. <laughs> but instead, because I killed everybody on the side... The AI was like, well, I better go back and protect my flag. And he just walked away from the flag. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right. I guess I had nothing to worry about. Like the computer, the computer in this is not not the best for the, the combat scenes. And, and like we talked about the diplomacy, they, they don't seem to have any like logic or rhyme or reason to how they do anything. The, the game, once you figure out, okay, it's really just about managing money and buying armies and then you know, selling those crops to get money to buy armies and, and just going full bore and attack and then just kind of hold up for a minute till you have your front, you know, well enough defended so that no one's going to attack you, which, by the way, I only had happen twice. I never had anyone attack me after the first few, like, 
turns of the game. After that, everyone was like just waiting for me to build up my army and destroy them. So I started getting bored. Bored. So I would just yeah, I would just like okay, I'm, I have one more unit than they do. Like their their strength is two hundred and mine's two hundred and one. I'm just gonna attack them because I know as long as I've got the numbers, their their strategy is terrible. I'm never gonna lose. It, it is not that. That's my biggest problem with this game. I, I guess I don't want it. It's hard to complain because you don't want to say, like, oh, man, if this had the ability to build each of my armies differently so I could have a, an army that's, like, three archers and one soldier, or if I was able to, say, uh, you know, pool all my money and just have one army that's two wizards and nothing else. Like, I don't want, like, you kind of want that once you figure the game out because it might make it more interesting, but then I never would have figured it out. Like, it would have been too too busy. I never would have wrapped my head around it. So the, the end result is that this is a game that, has a lot of options that don't mean anything and really all you need to do is build up your army and march across the map and it takes a long time i think the game i finished took me four hours <laughs> of, of my life you can save so you can come back which is nice I, I have to give it that you're able to save any turn you want as long as it's it's on your command screen but otherwise the the ai is not good it should be better but it's a real hard balance because at a certain point they would just get so hard that i would I would have been frustrated because they would wipe me out from the start like they should have because there was no reason not to attack me when I have one territory, you're surrounding me, and you have way stronger armies than I do. I, it's it's just such a weird game from Kawhi. Like, you know, they they had been making the romance games, apparently, so they, they knew what they kind of needed to do with this, and uh, it's just, yeah, it's just there, there's nothing there. Like with the romance games, you could spend so much time per turn just going to each each of your territories and micromanaging those and, and you know, training soldiers, recruiting soldiers, uh, having other hero units train uh, your soldiers, having different types of soldiers. And then whenever you do get to that battle, then there's a there's a ton of strategy there. If if Jim Fire just had the battle system of the romance games, I wouldn't feel too bad about the whole being very simple that would be kind of fun like that would be neat to see a romance game without all the craziness and focusing on like some cool ass battles that uh that required a lot of strategy to, to win and just doing away with all that other shit kind of but here it's just it's the worst of both worlds like you get mm. this super simple uh, sim kind of part and then you get these battles that are just laughably simple there's nothing again there's just nothing to it and I, I just could not find anything besides these hero units, which it seems like the game is banking so much on uh, to be the, the thing that carries the game. And they can't even do that. Like, you, it's just whenever you can use them, they just blow through things. Whenever you can't use them, uh, you can just hire monsters and use them and, and blow through things. Uh, and besides that, it's just, you know, managing your troops and getting your army up. And that's it. That's literally all the game is. And if there's more to it, then I, I, I don't know if I want to really sink that much time in it to, to get to it. But from the, the three or four hours that I played, it just seemed like the AI was not there uh, to carry this game along with just how simple the rest of it is. Well, I'm glad I've got to, <laughs> glad I've got to hear you guys talk about it because I thought for sure I was missing something. Because, uh, like I said before, I went from being overwhelmed to just it's like, what is uh, what is there to do here? Um, uh, there's a lot of options, a lot of menu, but at the end of the game, I was like, I, I didn't feel like I was playing it correctly because that not much was taking place. Um, everything seemed to be happening pretty easily, 
as far as battles go. And like I said, I was still reeling from from kind of being let down about any of the diplomatic uh, decisions or actions you take really having any impact at all, um, which is was kind of the thing I resigned myself to. At least I'll enjoy doing this. Uh, I didn't find that this thing did much of anything that well. I'm getting it from you because I haven't played a lot of strategy games either. Um, but I would not. I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that it's it's just a very basic form of it because there is there's just not a lot of game to be had here, um, as far as I know, which is why I thought I was playing the thing kind of incorrectly the entire time, because I wasn't getting getting much out of it. I was doing a lot more just sitting there or a lot more just storming through a fight um, than anything else. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is like an entry-level <laughs> strategy game. I don't know if this is, is meant to kind of hook people in or what, but it, it did, at least in one instance, it, it did not work. In the, in the fighting game world, there's a term called punish. And that's what happens whenever, you, if you fuck up, you know, the other player is going to immediately take advantage of that. You get punished. In this game, and in, uh, well, in actual strategy games, there is that element as well. I, I talked about it earlier. Anytime you fuck with the AI or, or fuck up, you expect to be punished in these games as well. And there is literally none of that. And what was so, that was super weird to me because it was like playing a strategy game without any of that punishment and pushing all of that out of the way along with you know the ai and, and how simple everything else was it's like this weird skeleton of a strategy game to me like i am i wrong like i mean you played it more than i did am i just missing something it just feels like there's nothing there to really just to wrap wrap around and stick with i think they try to do a lot they try to come in strong with like here's all these things that can happen like things we didn't mention that are that we didn't mention because they're of minimal consequence uh you as you're playing through the the turns uh, eventually it'll come around and say like oh there's there's a disaster there's an earthquake in the southern half of the map or there's a, you know the, the the top of the map the northern part is frozen over and it hurts your crops or whatever and and it does affect those territories but it's so little like if you have a hundred food and your your town gets devastated by frost. You have seventy five food. Like it's not it's not like it comes back and it hurts your army that bad. All these things are minor. Um, they they have turns you'll hit where, like it's like oh fairies have given your town a wish. I don't know what that means. I don't know what any of it means. It doesn't actually change anything. Maybe it makes you have more luck in the next battle. Who knows? I mean the fact that the enemy units will uh, or the the, the uh, hired units sometimes can can rebel and do their own thing is kind of neat. But it ends up just being kind of annoying and not anything you have any real control over. Um, there's just these little touches that are like, oh, this is kind of neat, but the core of the game is is the AI between the diplom the diplomatic stuff and the AI in the actual combat, and both of which, as we've mentioned, are are bad. So no, you're you're not missing anything. There's a lot of stuff here. They just don't they don't give it enough. I mean, I I didn't think about it in the terms of punishment, but that's a really good a really good statement that there is no consequence to to making a mistake in this other than you know if you if you build your army up and then you lose okay you have to build your army up again but chances are they're not going to penalize you while you're doing that they're not going to then follow you up and wipe you out they're going to wait they're going to sit around and wait for you to build your army up again so you can take them on uh, the other thing we didn't really mention because I'm sure none of us did it uh, and and this would possibly change my opinion on this game is that it does have a two player mode where your you know your opponent is another 
lord and therefore they're di- di- you know if you do diplomacy with them or whatever there's actually some human behind it and there's some ai there maybe that would change my opinion maybe if i played this as a kid like i said my dad was big into strategy games maybe if him and i played this and like that was my fear playing against against someone who's really going to do that who's going to make sure if i make a mistake i'm not going to forget it maybe that would have changed my opinion on on this but playing it one player which is how most people are going to play this game it is not. It is not great. It is. It is a lot of neat ideas. I mean, the wizards and stuff are neat, but at first they're too powerful, and then they're not powerful enough. Like there's no, there's no middle ground where you kind of hit that sweet spot where it feels like it's much of a challenge. After you've deciphered uh, the 50 plus page manual to really what the gameplay is, it it's kind of a cakewalk, and that is that's unfortunate. But at the same time, you know, I'm not quite sure what I would change other than make the AI a little bit better. Uh, if you add too many things, it just becomes too much. You know, maybe maybe get rid of a lot of those things and just have a better combat engine. I don't know. Um, uh, this is a game that does have its fans. Uh, I looked online. There are people who are very, very uh, passionate about this game. There are also a lot of people who feel the same way we do, where it's just not that great of a game. Uh, but I did talk to the patron who requested this game, Dwayne V, and he's going to explain to us why he picked it and why we might be wrong. <laughs> As mentioned, this was picked by one of our patrons, Dwayne V, who we have here for a short explanation of why he picked Gemfire for the Super Nintendo as the game we needed to cover. So welcome to the show, Dwayne. Thank so, you. Thank you very much. Uh, now, you picked the game Gemfire, which is a, a Koei strategy game for the Super Nintendo. It was also on the Nintendo. I don't know if you played the Nintendo version uh, before you played the Super Nintendo version. So the first question I have is, do you hate us? <laughs> Well, when I, <laughs> you know, it's funny how, how I end up playing this game a lot is, is growing up in a small town where you had just like a mom and pop store. You, I would get $5, uh, go up there to rent a video game for a couple nights. Uh, and all the popular stuff was always gone, you know? Uh, so like your Donkey Kong countries of the world, you know, and all the, the cool stuff that'd be out there like Mega Man X and whatever, Super Mario RPG, all the good stuff or Mortal Kombat, Zelda, those are always gone. Uh, and so, you know, it was one of those things where I rented it one time and took it home, uh, and it was multi, it's multiplayer. You can actually play it with a friend. If you want, if you want to drag them along, you can play a friend. And I did. Uh, and so we would play and take turns on the multiplayer playing the, the, the map and, uh, and, and the strategy, you know, cause it's kind of a turn-based strategy game, you know, I guess they call it a kingdom simulator. I'm not quite sure if I agree with that, that identification of it, but, uh, but, but the funny thing is. I still play games like this, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Fire Emblem, which is kind of the same kind of mechanics. You know, if you ever played the Fire Emblem games, I always buy the Fire Emblem whenever they come out for the uh, Nintendo DS uh, and the Total War series, which is a far advanced and probably good uh, version of this stuff that that Creative Assembly does. And I play the, the Warhammer 2 Total Wars because there's a kingdom building side of it. And then there's the turn based uh, strategy battle side of it. And this is the most basic version of that that you could ever imagine, uh, you know. So I, that's that's basically because there was nothing else available. I would get this, and every weekend when you would go back to the game store to rent something, all the popular stuff was out, all the cool stuff. I didn't want to rent F Zero F Zero for the 14th time, you know. And in my small 12 year old brain could not comprehend saving money to buy a better game. I just spent my five dollars every weekend to rent something. And this was always what was available. So guess what? I must have rented Gemfire over a couple years 
uh, probably uh, 12, 14 times. And so that's why I knew about it so much. And I would play it over and over again, you know, in the different modes. <laughs> it, now, so since you what? had it that often, I mean, one, you could have bought it for that amount of money. But beside that, you, you played <laughs> it this many I times. I could have bought seven copies of it for the amount of money that I spent and, on renting it. You're absolutely right. Right now, this is a tough one to find. If you had seven copies of this on Super Nintendo with boxes, you'd be set. I mean... <laughs> Not for long, but at least for a month, you'd be set. It'd make you a good amount of money for a month. Now, did you? Well, did you... I knew I was in trouble whenever I went to kind of research the game because I was trying to, you know, remember, I was trying to, like, you know, because there's another one, uh, what's that, Romance of the Three Kingdoms? It's kind of similar to this. And it may be made by the same company. It is. Uh, you know, yeah. And so, you know, it was kind of more of a refined version of that and it was a lot more popular because they made, hell, I still think they're making versions of that game. Uh, you know, so, but it just was none of that was available to me, you know. Well, yeah, the others are based on actual historic events. This is this is their take on fantasy. It's the only game that came out for consoles in their Imagination series, and uh, I, I can see why they didn't make any more. Now, this this game, when I, when you first start playing it, and we've we've talked about this on the show already, but it comes with like this massive manual, and so at first you're like, oh man. I'm gonna have to read 60 pages to understand this game, and you know I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you had a lot of experience with like the the Koei games like Romance of the Three Kingdoms, but they're very involved with uh, more of the the social aspect. There is war, but the war yeah. in that game is kind of just a, a feature of this diplomatic game, kind of uh, at least the way I've yeah. played it, which is maybe why I'm not good at it. This game is is more straightforward combat, but there's all this you know there's they have all this backstory you have to worry about, and then there's all these diplomatic features that essentially are just in, into buying and selling crops so you can have some money crops, to hire yeah. an army. Yeah. Uh, when you actually boil this game down, the actual game is just, you know, streamlined down to you have the same combat over and over again, and then the only difference is what you hire or those magicians. So essentially, you're just it's just mm -hmm. mage battle with these other, other resources until you have so much money that you have, you know, armies with 250 people in each one, and then, it, then the mages don't matter anymore. You know, it's... It's it is a really unbalanced and fairly simple strategy game. I, I'm assuming you've you've beaten it several times if you rented it that many yep. times. Yeah, absolutely. And well, you there were because if you once you finish one scenario, you get to go back and there's four other scenarios. So then you can start even harder. <laughs> now I don't know if I completed every scenario, but I guarantee you I came back and would start a different scenario and then start trying to play that that game again. And then sometimes invite a friend. <laughs> Well, that's it. it has a two-player option, and I think this game it would does, actually yeah. be more fun with two players because generally my major complaint after figuring out how to play this game and realizing what it was and whatever is that the computer AI is absolutely miserable. They are not smart. Yeah, they're bad. Uh, yeah. So, so it's like it, if it becomes more of just a patience game. Like there's not a lot of strategy in the combat. Once you figure out like, oh, they're going to do the same thing every time and they don't care about flanking even though that's like the only strategy you need to learn – it, it ends up being very easy to kind of trick them into going a certain direction and then, you know, flank in the other direction. Or, or I had some battles where I was going to lose. Like, I had no one on my end flag, and the, the opponent was right there. All they had to do was move on it to win. But because I was winning on the other side of the map, they just marched back to the other side of the map. And I was like, you tools. You could have totally beat, beat me in this <laughs> game horribly. I wasn't paying any attention to the fact that you were way over there. So, yeah, the AI is not that great. You know, I, I'm telling you now, and everyone that's been listening has already heard this. Uh, the other members of this podcast not as <laughs> polite about this game. <laughs> they were not fans. Uh, it, it is. It is. Yeah. It has a fan base. I did a little bit of research so that I could figure out, you know, wh what other games were in the series. The answer is none. And and 
you know, why <laughs> does this have fans? And it does. This game has has people who are much like you, I'm sure, rented it every weekend, loved it, kept playing yeah. it. And uh, but I just I do not think it holds up well today. I think if you're going to play a strategy game, the other ones you mentioned are way better. Uh, you could find. I mean, Civilization is way better. There's a million strategy yeah. games oh, you can Civilization. play. Yeah, and, and I still play those games to this day. You know, uh, you know, doing Fire Emblem, Total War, Civilization, they're all good. And and uh, I, I just I love a good. I guess I've always been appeal drawn to a like a turn based type strategy game where you kind of just take your time and. And just kind of piece through it. But this was, this is twelve year old version of me thinking that this is the, the greatest game ever. <laughs> I think just opening the board game Risk probably would have been more appealing. <laughs> or renting a better movie. You could have just rented a movie with that five dollars. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> no, I, it was just kind of funny because even when kind of going back down memory lane and and, and after I figured, first figured out the name, what this game was that I'd rented so so many times, and then looking research, there was nothing. <laughs> there was nothing online, so I kind of figured it's like that might not have been a very good game. <laughs> well, if there's not a lot of people who play it, you know, I found a couple speed runs, you know, on YouTube, but uh, uh, but then other than that, I was like, oh, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking it wasn't very good. But I was, I was, I was very glad you guys went through it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you guys went through it to kind of see what you would you would think of it. I haven't played just about everything under the sun, you know, from that generation, but. Well, we, we haven't covered a lot of strategy games, so I do like that it's something different. Um, but I, thankfully, I think it means we don't have to meet, do any other strategy games anytime soon. So thank you for that recommendation, <laughs> and thank you for continuing to uh, to support the show. Yeah, absolutely. I love you guys, and, and I'm, I'm glad what you do. I think you guys do a great job. Yeah, that's our thoughts and, of course, Dwayne's thoughts on uh, on Gemfire. So if you have a game like Dwayne that you really want us to cover for whatever reason, either because you, you, you remember playing as a kid and you really liked it or because you don't like us, the best way to do that is to join our Patreon. Uh, you, if you join at the, uh, the $10 level after so many months, you get to pick a game we have to cover for our main feed. Otherwise, you can join at a lower rate, get free bonus shows, get in for monthly drawings and stuff. There's a lot of stuff there, and we're going to be adding more to it as time goes on. But one of the ways you can reach us if you don't want to join the Patreon is you can go to Retrovania.net. Now, there's a lot of things there. There's a link to our YouTube channel. There's a link to all our social media. We have some written articles there, which is wonderful. But most importantly than anything else on that page, at the very bottom, there is a question form where you can type in any question you have on your mind, and we'll probably answer it on the show like we're going to right now. That's right, and starting it off is Mark H., and he wants to tell us that we need a taboo review. Hey, guys, I thought about sending you a message through Patreon, but it just doesn't replace this amazing contact form on your website. Anyway, after listening to Jeremy P. explain how he refused to do a podcast on taboo, I suddenly had to look up what taboo actually was. I'd never even heard of it after all. Well, I found a couple of low-quality YouTube reviews, and I understand why you didn't think you could make a full podcast about it. That being said, maybe you can make your patron and... That being said, maybe you can make your patron from the last episode and myself happy if Jeremy G would put together a YouTube review of the game Taboo, even if it only gets two views. Yeah, get get to it. Yeah, that's, I'm all for that. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> I, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see. I, I I don't even know what Taboo is myself. I I only know that Jeremy P it continues to just 
refuse to, <laughs> to want to deal with this game. So, so I'm kind of curious myself. Now, in in full disclosure, if it was any other patron that requested Taboo, we probably would have done an episode on it. But I knew this person specifically. is a friend of mine and chose a game that he knew I would absolutely hate to cover. So I pushed it mm. back and we did G.I. Joe instead. And that's okay. I, I enjoy that much more than I would enjoy Taboo. But if you really want us to cover Taboo, I, I'm not saying it won't happen otherwise, but the best way to do it, again, is to force us to do it by joining the Patreon. Uh, but, but yeah, I, it's not a game. It's a, it's a tarot card sim. I, I don't know why you'd want to cover it. But, hey, you know what? If you, you pay for it, we'll do it. Uh, yeah, uh, keep a lookout on that YouTube channel. Maybe, maybe we'll get around to it <laughs> if, if it seems interesting. And I mean, I've covered some bad games on there. I mean, I, I did cover Swamp Thing for the NES, so uh, a tarot card game could could be right up my alley as far as making a video of. All right, thank you, uh, thank you for writing in, Mark. And next up is Todd C, and he's wanting to talk about WrestleFest. Hey, my dudes, you're all kind of spirit animals to me, as I feel we're all approximately close in age, given the dozens upon dozens of your podcasts that I've listened to. Y'all crack me up with your insights on all of these old games I have fond memories of. Y'all mentioned the old WWF arcade games once in an old episode, and I was thrown way back to the old superstars and WrestleFest days. Back then, I was a kid in middle school saving his lunch money so I could pump as many quarters as possible into superstars. So I'd love to hear the three of you rant about playing through WWF Superstars as well as WWF WrestleFest to reminisce about your experiences then and now emulating those games. Absolutely love the podcast and keep up the good work. You dudes rock and make me laugh because you are all just basically me. Thanks for all you do, and I'm happy to pay for the monthly content. Well, well thank you. Thank you for the, the kind words. Uh, these games were big for me because I was a gigantic uh, video game fan and wrestling fan. So I, I think um, Superstars was the first one uh, that I really got to interact with and, and, and absolutely loved it. But our arcade very quickly threw WrestleFest in there. And uh, WrestleFest is the, is, is the, the sequel the superstars and it got the it got a it got a glow up uh that thing was looking full-on cartoon mode by that point in time big characters over exaggerated you know build on the character it was, it was just like playing with the action figures come to life uh well not you know in video game format um but it was a, a an absolute blast that was one uh that's a group of my friends and i we would go to the arcade. That was the game that got probably the most play for a, until they took it out of there uh, for a couple of years. And it was one of the few games where we actually located where that machine went to. And it was a pizza hut on the other side of town. So it was still one of those that every now and then we could finagle our parents to go to that particular pizza hut, even though it was out of the way, uh, we would still throw down on that thing. And I always, always, Played as the big boss man. Uh, I thought that boss man slam. As soon as you hit somebody with that thing, nine times out of ten, uh, it was over. Uh, but that was definitely one you needed the quarters for. Uh, it was easy to go through those really quickly. Like one mistake on there. And, and to this day, I don't feel like it was the most fair grappling system. I think the computer definitely decided uh, when it had had enough and when it was going to get a hit in. Uh, so it, it was way too tempting to pop a quarter in to, to top the energy off on there. 
and, and you know, and to, and to stay fresh in the in the fight. Uh, but yeah, a lot of quarters spent on superstars and WrestleFest. Uh, WrestleFest is one of those that I went on to play a lot after the fact. Uh, you know, kind of emulator wise, I went back because, like I said, it didn't stay in our arcade for very long um, before they dropped the. Uh, before they drop the sequel in there. I really love that one too. It definitely uh, is, is a lot more simplistic as far as graphics go, uh, as far as you know, any voices in the game and things like that, presentation altogether. Uh, but still, a really enjoyable game. Yeah, Billy's much more of the wrestling guy, at least compared to me. I don't know if Jeremy was also a big fan, but I really, other than the stuff that was on consoles, I, I did not have a lot of experience with wrestling games, and I was not a, a, a big wrestling guy. So I, I would gladly try those games, but I don't have a lot of experience with them previously. I, I played a lot of WrestleFest, and that was mainly because the grocery store that, that I went to as a kid, the, it was called Bud's. It was basically just the Dollar General version of like a Piggly Wiggly. And uh, the only reason I, I kind of remember that is because it also had whoever Bud was had great taste in arcades because it was the only place that I'd ever been to that had WrestleFest. And then anything that was like Marvel or, or Capcom related down the road, they had those. They had the X-Men games and stuff like that. I, that was the reason I went to Bud's it's just to play arcade games in, in the middle of that just kind of shitty grocery store. But yeah, like WrestleFest, like that was that was one of my probably my favorite wrestling game of all time, uh, as far as like just the amount of fun that I had playing it. And there's, there really I don't know, there just really hasn't been another wrestling game like mm -hmm. it because there's very few actual like arcade wrestling games. Like pro wrestling yeah. came out in the arcade, but I mean that was just, you know, there wasn't it was just the game, you know, the, the game from the NES. But uh, yeah, WrestleFest was just the the quintessential wrestling 80, 80s arcade wrestling game like it was just so much fun and there, it's just every time i think of it it's, there's just that picture in my head of, of those big bright characters yeah. you know it just it literally like you said looked like a cartoon come to life of, of those of all those wrestlers and everything it was a lot of great memories with that one and it's worth stating that that pretty soon i don't know if they've hit a damn release date for it i think it's this year that there is an official I didn't know it was official. It is an official sequel to WrestleFest coming around, Retromania. Um, I don't think it has any... I, it's, it's a bunch of independent wrestlers. Uh, maybe some names you recognize if you're uh, a fan of some of the older wrestlers or if you're really up on kind of the independent wrestling scene now. Uh, but I've been watching video of that, and it, it looks like it's going to be a pretty faithful, uh, yeah, deserving sequel to WrestleFest. We'll see. I, I I would look forward to that. But you know, there's always those people that that promise that you know we're we're returning to the glory days of wrestling oh, yeah. games, and oh, yet yeah. no one has managed to make a game better than fucking SmackDown for the PlayStation. <laughs> like I mean, and you know, and the Nintendo 64 wrestlers and stuff like those were just fun wrestling games. But for whatever reason, these days you just can't hardly find a, a just a fun ass wrestling game to play. Anyway, that's going to do it for Todd. Thank you for writing in. We will see about later on, maybe doing a second wrestling episode. I know we've talked about it before. If we yes. can throw together a few more wrestling games and force Jeremy P to play them, we'll, we'll see what we can come up with. Next up is Trent from Trenton, and uh, he's writing in about subscription services. Now, before we get into this, I did throw this out to our Discord chat. We do actually have a Discord chat now. Jeremy, what, what is a Discord chat, and how do you use that? 
Uh, I mean, it's a big chat room, like an IRC channel, and it's pretty fun. And I have no more details on how to sign up. But it's right if you go to our Patreon, even if you're not a member of the Patreon, I believe the link is there. It's also been on all our social media pages. But you you, you come in, you chat with us. Sometimes we'll respond, but there's lots of people in there who do like to uh, to respond. And it's it's been a good group. I've actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, so if you want to get in there and join us and, and chat chat about a few things or even post, post some pictures of food, which that seems mm. to be the big thing on there. Uh, yeah. Join us and, and tell us what you think. And uh, I'll, I will get into what they also said about this question once I get done reading it. So Trent writes in to say, wow, I'm on the podcast. If you read this, which we are, you've all spoken at length about subscription and streaming services such as Xbox Game Pass and Apple Arcade. But do you think this is actually the future of playing video games? Will subscription services ultimately take over actually being able to buy a physical game? We all remember when Sega tried this with their ill-fated Sega channel, but the technology has finally caught up to that ambitious failure, and it seems like this is continuing to get pushed more and more on every platform as the years go by. Is this a future that you'd welcome, or is, or will this just be a passing fad? Thanks for the podcast, guys. Uh, I think... Um... Myself, and I think the general consensus uh, when, when Jeremy posed this on Discord was that uh, especially Game Pass came up a lot, uh, has, has really done a great job of introducing me and, and I think a lot of people to games that otherwise, um, one, they would have known about but wouldn't want to have you know, plunk the money down to try out, you know, now that, that rentals are, are, are not really a thing. Um, you, you've got to kind of have a lot of good faith before you pick a game up if it doesn't have a demo. Um, but yeah, it's introduced me to a lot of games that I wouldn't have tried otherwise. I wouldn't have bought or that I wouldn't have known about uh, a lot of just like indie gems, Game Pass is thrown out there. And a lot of the, the AAA titles they put out uh, are ones I probably would have waited forever until the, until they were on a, a big-time sale before I picked up. So I love it. Um, I, I do wish um, you know, PlayStation Now is the PlayStation version of it. And it, I think it, it, it airs a little more towards keeping a library of older games, and a lot of those aren't. Uh, there's some weird choices in there. And, and I do have to say, between the two, I, I rarely spend much time on, uh, on PlayStation now. That Game Pass is great. Um, Nintendo doesn't really have anything like that, but I, I had stated that I think Nintendo's just insanely deep sales kind of make up for that a little bit. Um, but no, Game Pass, I think, is a great kind of uh, thing they have going there. I would gladly welcome them going going harder on that. But I, I think by my trouble I posed was I think if they ever went to the point to where that was where they were going to get uh, the majority of their profits, I don't really think it would be the same, you know, plunk down your, your 10 bucks and play these games all you want and download them. I think that uh, if that became the go-to form uh, of wanting you to play the games just on there. Um, I, I think there would be some price increases. I don't know if there would be some limits on how many games you could do at a time. I don't know. Uh, it, it's one of those things where I think if they really wanted to make that their main source of income, uh, there would be a lot more restrictions than there are now. And it would be a lot pricier than it is now. As it stands now, it's almost ridiculous how, how cheap this service is for how much I've, I've gotten out of it. I don't think that just the straight subscription will will be the norm for quite a while for big titles like, you know, all the the major 
triple a titles they're going to spend so much money that they can't afford to you know give that to you for five bucks a month even if it was 50 bucks a month i mean if you paid played every new game that came out this month for 50 bucks a month you're like oh that's that's worth the price to you but one that's a hard sale to most people and two that's still not making them any money i mean yeah they're not spending the money on the physical copies and manuals and all the other stuff but honestly i think that would just they that would destroy either the 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 way that they make games completely, and maybe that's a good thing, but I doubt it. Uh, or it would lead to, yeah, the price going up too high and limiting, like, oh, you can play for $50 a month. You can get, you know, one of these six games that are new, and then mm-hmm. you get one from last month. And then, you know, eventually everything becomes free, or not free, but part of the paid service. There, there has to be some limitations on it. I'd hope that's not the future of it. I, I still like the idea of buying games. I don't know why that's any different than me paying to download a game that if I lost my system, I'd lose the game forever. But but for some reason, you know, the idea of subscription service like that being the only thing, I, I just can't see that being sustainable. I, I'm not against it. Like like Billy said, I think Game Pass is probably the best iteration of it. You know, it is probably the best version of a video store that we have in, in 2020. Just being able to go with, go on there and, and try a bunch of games that I would have never actually spent money on. But the the plus side to that is that I can actually buy those games if I mm-hmm. want it. As much as I really enjoy Apple Arcade, the the biggest downfall to that is that you can't actually buy any of those games. Yeah. Uh, so if there's a game on there that you like, and and really just want to play all all the time, you got to pay that five bucks a month. And you know, after a year, you've spent probably more money on it than a, a full price AAA video game. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the big problem with stuff like that. If you just can't buy it, so. Yeah, as long as I can still buy something and, and own it either, you know, physically or digitally, I'm fine with these streaming mm-hmm. services. But uh, once you take that away from me, then then that gets a little bit hairier. Um, and I think that's another thing Game Pass is kind of nailed down is they'll have a game on there and they'll have it for a while. But while it's on there, that they'll offer they'll also offer you a, a sometimes a pretty firm discount on it also. Um, you know, to, to keep playing, like if it's a longer game and you want to you want to keep playing after uh, they kind of give you the warning that they're they're taking it away. Uh, you can pick it up uh, kind of a, a discounted, sometimes a much discounted rate. So I, I think uh, Microsoft has certainly got the uh, the, the upper hand uh, and they, they kind of look like they know what they're doing with it. And I would be perfectly fine with, with that, uh, with just, you know, throwing the games on there. Um, give me the option to, to pick the game up, you know, with a, a little discount on it. And uh, that's that itself, the way it is now, is a format that I would be happy and I would frequent uh, for as long as it's out there. Anyway, thank you, Trent from Trenton, uh, from writing in. And again, if you want to get in on the Discord chat and answer some of these questions here without just having to listen to us, tell you what, what our answer is, uh, just uh, find a find a link to that. I will probably actually put that on the website as well, uh, along with the other various ways that you can find it through our social media. And our last question comes in from Burger Champ, and he's wanting to know about fighting game casting calls. What game's cast of characters would you like to see in their own Street Fighter or Tekken-style fighting game? While you play this hypothetical game, what type of hypothetical pizza, hand-tossed, deep-dish, Detroit-style, etc., and what toppings would you eat while playing it? <laughs> uh, oh, man, um, I'm, I'm generally not a big fan of when they they might make fighting games. I, you know, like Team and T Fighter got a slight pass from me. That Double Dragon fighting game was horrific. 
Uh, there aren't a lot of games. I sit down and, and look at them. And I was like, well, that would lend itself. Or this cast of characters would lend itself well. What I do like, I do like those kind of, uh, like your Smash Brothers or PlayStation tried it with that battle royale. Um, you know, where they, they draw characters from different games and throw them in. Uh, so, God, I don't know. There's nothing I'm really pulling for. But like if we had like a, a fighter that took some of these characters from these these 16-bit inspired games like you, you've got a air farmer from stardew valley you got celeste you got meat boy you got a shovel knight something like that you know just an, another i can't think of a single game that would lend itself uh it's like i want this entire cast brawling it out uh, but but like one of those like a kind of a, a, a culmination of a bunch of different games like just throwing in a bunch of different characters i like something like that pizza hmm. uh, i i would have to go just that stuffed crust, just basic Pizza Hut stuffed crust, extra cheese with some pepperoni. Um, I, I, I'm not a fancy guy when it comes to that. That would suffice just fine for me, I do believe. So the first question is the, the easier of the two questions. Uh, you know, I was going to say Persona, but that already exists. Persona 4 Arena is actually a really, really good fighting game because it's the same people that did Guilty Gear. Uh, they made a fighting game around Persona, and that was really good. So they'd have to be something that has a character, you know, a class uh, of characters that's diverse enough. I don't just need a whole bunch of guys with swords, for example. Uh, but I think, and and this is uh, mainly because I've been playing a lot of these games, and I, I kind of wrote about them recently, but the Ease series in general, there's so many different characters in there that have different fighting styles, and they're from different areas, different kind of fake ethnicities. Uh, so it's not like... Oh, here's the Indian guy, but instead it's this this kind of very Middle Eastern flavored guy, and there's these uh, it, a lot of different styles and things that can make a pretty interesting fighting game, and hopefully it plays better than something like Air Guys. Uh, so I, I'd go with the Ease series if I have to pick one, probably Ease Eight because it has the most characters. Uh, but th that would be fun to see. Uh, but if you have not tried Persona Four Arena, it's really really good, and uh, and has a, a neat spin on how all that works together and combines it with Persona Three characters. Uh, as far as the pizza goes, if I have to pick a style of pizza, I like it, like the if I can get a New York style pizza from, you know, not a chain, just some some place locally that's really good. There's a place by me now called Frank and Luke's that's really really good. That's what I can go. That's my go-to. I like a good thin New York style crust, mm. like a little crispy. I can fold it in half and eat it. That's really good. I also like Chicago style. I'm not a guy that hates that. That's more of a sit down with like a <laughs> like a like a napkin. Like that's going to get everywhere. So that's that's hard to play a game and eat a Chicago style pizza. Uh, locally, there's a pizza called Lido's Pizza that that is a pen, it's a basically a, a square, very very thin pizza, but the sauce is almost too sweet, and they use different kinds of cheese. They don't just use mozzarella, but it's like this provolone mix. Uh, I actually really like that, but it's one of those pizzas that I really really want when I'm not here because it's something that's local to Maryland, I believe. And then when I get back, I have it once or twice, and I don't want it again for years at a time. But I, I like those kind of pizzas. But New York style is probably my go-to if I can get a good. A good, especially if the, the 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 crust at the bottom is just hard enough that I have to fold it up, but then the grease pours all over the plate. That's what I want. I, I agree with the New York style. I, I would definitely, if I could just get the pizza that I want all the fucking time, it would just be a cheese pizza, New York New York style cheese pizza. And I, I like Billy. I'm kind of boring with that. I don't really want toppings on my my New New York style pizza, but that's literally all I want. I do enjoy a good deep dish as well. As far as locally, I've been to a few places where I just don't enjoy their local pizzas. I think I was talking about it to you guys. 
you know, I, I was actually in uh, Moline, Illinois, which is part of the Quad Cities there in Iowa with Davenport and, and, and a couple others. And they have their own style of, of pizza. It's called the Quad City or Quad whatever the fuck it is. And it's literally just a pizza where it just where they cut it into like thin strips. But it, <laughs> it's also like a very thick style pizza, not like a, a Chicago style, but just like, you know, they got a ton of shit on there that they put underneath the cheese. So whenever you do try to, you know, lift up one of these these rectangles of these thin rectangles of pizza, you kind of got to do it with both hands, because if you just do it by the crust. The, the part towards the center is just gonna, it weighs like five pounds so it's just gonna go straight down and everything's gonna fall off uh, I, I did not enjoy that pizza at all uh, it's just too much and and like anytime I have to like actually like put more effort into like just picking it up with one hand then I don't want to have anything to do with that pizza um, St. Louis style I do not like St. Louis style pizza for any of you that live in St. Louis and love that shit I cannot stand it whatever you guys do to the cheese that's on top of that pizza stop it like that is not that's not pizza cheese, that's that's like a a, a weird sauce <laughs> that you would dip a breadstick in. It's it's so strange, and I did not enjoy that one bit. But yeah, if again, I'm not a big pizza car carnosaur. I just I like my my simple New York style. If I can get me a fucking Luca pizza slice in the mall, I'm happy. Uh, but as far as games, I. Man, I wish I could get a good Final Fantasy fighting game that isn't Eric Heights or Smash Brothers. Like I know Clouds and Smash Brothers, that's a fine, that's a good fighting game. But I just, I want a good Final Fantasy fighting game. And for some reason, that has never happened outside of Eric Heights, one of the worst fighting games of all time. <laughs> so Square, maybe someday Square will answer answer my prayers and and get those guys from Guilty Gear on there. Um, but before we leave, I mean, is there any pizza that you guys just that will absolutely not not eat at all? Uh, I mean, no is the truth. If there's someone, if someone offers me a pizza, I will, I will probably eat it. I don't like Papa John's pizza. Um, mm. I remember when it was mm. new and everyone liked it all the time here, and, oh. and I was like, oh man, it's gonna I be love great. Papa John's. No, I, no, I, I despise it. As I well. just had it for dinner tonight. Well, if I would have had that for dinner tonight, we would have done this entire podcast from the bathroom. Because as soon as I eat it, that's where I, I – I mean, it's not like I, I don't care for the taste. It tastes fine. But it, it is – I might as well just be a tube if I eat that pizza. So I'm not a fan of that. I don't really like Domino's. It's better than it used to be. I feel like, but... they, don't, I feel like they don't have any control with the amount of sauce they put on it either. I, I, I think it's one of those they just they lift the, the bat of it up. And you know, however much ends up on there, that's what you get. And it's usually way too much. But and I I am admittedly a fan of the Little Caesars pizza. It's like the garbagest but cheapest pizza. Yeah. It's so good. I love it. It is. It but it's absolutely the worst pizza. Um, yeah. I mean, no. There's not a pizza that I won't eat, but there's pizza that I would prefer not to eat. How about that? <laughs> it's the same. Uh, there's several that I I certainly would frown upon when I see them, but but I'll still go uh, two or three slices deep on them. And as picky as you guys are about fast food, I can't believe this about pizza. <laughs> just, I, I'm, but you got to you got to you got to have your standards. You got to draw the line somewhere. I guess I, I, if there's one that I will not eat that I just think is garbage, it's anytime I go into a gas station and see their pizza. Like, oh no, I've no. never had a good gas station. Yeah, pizza. Yeah, I think they need to stick to hot dogs, and that, that's probably yeah. about it. Yeah, Seven Eleven pizza is not good either. I'll eat it, but it's not it's not preferred. But again, that's that's like. The worst pizza is still better than than most other foods, so I'll I'll eat it if it comes down to it. 
Uh, there was a, a snowstorm here once that was bad enough that the only thing that we could get to was a 7-Eleven. And we walked to it and we ordered like two uncooked 7-Eleven pizzas. <laughs> and took oh them home and made them. And they were not good. I might as well just bought cardboard. But I still, <laughs> it was still like, oh, it's still pizza. This will be great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty, pretty bad. Anyway, that's going to do it for questions this week. If you guys have a question you want to ask us, go to Retrovania.net at the very bottom of that website. And we have actually added a lot to that website. Jeremy mentioned it. We've actually got articles on there now. Uh, we've got some more things you can check out. And we do try to actually update it regularly uh, when I can. But at the bottom, all, as always, there's a contact form that you can fill out, send it into us, and we will do what we just did on this podcast and answer, try to answer your questions. Uh, whether it be about games or pizza or bad fast food. Well, and you can always send us uh, questions via other methods or social media, everything we're at, retrovania.net. Uh, you can also give us game recommendations, but again, unless you go to our Patreon and force us to cover it, there's there's a good chance we may not, or we'll do it as a bonus show. Uh, that's one of the things you get from the Patreon. Uh, but other than that, we will be back in two weeks with a new show, and we will see you next time.